I like to make the vendors put their money where their mouth is. If you're willing to say this works, is this the best thing since sliced bread, come in, do a pilot, show it to me. If it works out, great, we'll do the project. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. We'd greatly appreciate it if you'd take two minutes of your time today to leave us a review. At our recent Innovation Summit, Bob Berninger, Director of Plant Operations, Energy and Engineering at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, sat down with our Deborah Channel to describe a series of retro commissioning projects, including a recent Innovation Award-winning implementation. He also shared his points of view on how to evaluate potential projects. Bob currently oversees more than 4 million square feet of critical care facilities in the heart of New York City, and he's got lots of great insights to share. Let's dive right in. I'm a New Yorker, so coming to you from Manhattan, so I'm very aware of Sloan Kettering and a vast array of buildings along the east side and into Midtown. The hospital also has an international reputation. I'm sure many people have heard of it. So I want to start by just having you tell us a little bit about your job and function at the hospital and about the scope of operations there, which are significant. Sure. Presently, I am Director of Plant Operations, Energy Engineering. I oversee approximately 11 buildings and 4 million square feet in New York City. The sites that I don't oversee in New York City are overseen by another director. And we also have another director that oversees our regional spaces over in New Jersey and in Long Island. I also oversee the entire energy budget for the institution, which runs around $50 million a year. I've been at Sloan for over 15 years. And during that time, I started off as the energy manager. I did plan operations of the main campus and then was a director of many more buildings, 11 buildings now. Since my time at Sloan, We have kept our energy footprint steady or cost-wise, and in KWH, while also doubling overall square footage of the institution. That's quite an achievement. Interesting. All right. So I want to start by talking about the project for which you won the Innovation Award. And again, we have another long title, so I'm not even going to pretend I'm going to read it. And the award was for Healthcare Energy Data Management... The winning program was Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Evelyn Lauder Breast and Imaging Center, Virtual Energy Monitoring and Fault Detection and Diagnostics. That's a mouthful as well. So from what I understand, the project started as a response to a New York City law. So why don't you tell us about that and how the project was developed? So the New York City law was Local Law 87, which requires all buildings over 25,000 square feet now to have an energy audit and retro commissioning done every 10 years according to their block and lot number. 
So in 2018, the Breast and Imaging Center was due for Local R87. We engaged a vendor to help us do the Local R87 reporting, retro commissioning. And along with the reporting, we also came up with a bunch of capital ECMs that were highlighted in the report. One of the projects was to install virtual energy managing and fault diagnostic. What we found in the past that when we've done retro commissioning in a building, yes, we're able to lower our energy usage in the building, get it back, get the building back to its design or design intent, save energy in the building. But then if you're not watching it, it starts to creep back up to its old profile, be it things not working correctly, staff making adjustments and not coming back to make the corrections or the fix. So with the fault diagnostic detections, we were able to find out right away if something is not working or is not within parameters, and then we could get on top of it right away before it wasted too much energy. Interesting. We did a a building management study late last year, and we asked people where they were on their journey in terms of building management. And those that were doing fault detection and diagnostics were at the far end, furthest along on the journey. So that's sort of the gold standard for where everybody should be. Is that your feeling as well? That is my feeling as well. Originally, when we started looking at fault FDD, fault diagnostic detection, I was a little leery of it only because it would highlight issues in the building that we were not able to get to because of other issues. We did a systematic approach to it going after the chill water plant, the heating plant, and then finally getting down to the VAV box level, which VAV boxes to me having issues is death by a thousand cuts. Because if you have about 200 VAV boxes or more in the building and each one starts drifting off to where it's supposed to be, it's a waste of energy. But the people are really not complaining or if they are complaining, that's when we start looking at the VAV boxes. With the fault and diagnostic and detection, we get an alert stating that the VAV box has drifted and we start working on that right away and thus not wasting energy too long. And in terms of the implementation of the project, I noticed you had some advantages going in, in terms of being able to implement it in the build, in a hospital setting, which is critical care 24-7. It wasn't as big a problem as we might have thought it would be. No, luckily this was an ambulatory care building. So the operation of the building was more or less 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And so from 10 to 7, the building was relatively empty except for a few doctors that like to work late and back of house staff. So to implement or install additional sensors, monitors, it was done all off hours and it didn't affect anybody. Luckily, the building was a relatively new building. I mean, I think it's going on 10 years now for the building. So we had relatively up-to-date building maintenance system in the building. So to add the extra points was not a big stretch. And was upper management receptive to this program? Upper management was receptive to the program because we were able to show what we brought in on retro commissioning, what the energy savings we were were bringing in with the retro commissioning. And then we were also able to show that if we stayed at this level, these were going to be repeatable savings. The good part about it as well was that at the time, NYSERDA was giving rebates and incentives to do continuous monitoring, continuous retro commissioning on buildings. 
that was an extra sale. So instead of the maintenance or the, the yearly service cost was only 50% of what we had to pay if we did it without an incentive. Okay. And I'm glad you used the, you just mentioned continuous commissioning. Hold that thought for a moment. Sure. I want to tell you what some what the judges said about the program and giving it the award. Great example of continuous commissioning to ensure optimum performance in a challenging environment that requires patient comfort as a priority. This proves that it's possible to be as efficient as possible while meeting all needs big and small. And another judge said, not enough emphasis is placed on retro commissioning and continuous commissioning. The project was ambitious in its scope and the savings were impressive. So first of all, congratulations again. Our judges were impressed, but we've now used a couple of different terms, retro commissioning, recommissioning, continuous commissioning. Tell me the difference. So for me, retro commissioning is bringing the building back to where its design intent was. Recommissioning is going back and commissioning the building again, if the building was commissioned to begin with. And then continuous commissioning is is using the tools that you have with the BMS and fault diagnostic detection to make sure that the building is operating at its design intent at all times. And for the continuous commissioning, if something drifts, it gives you an alert with the system, and then you can go back and fix it right away. Thank you for that definition. I needed that. No, no worries. Okay. So let's talk, talk about some other projects that you've been involved with. And I guess you've got some recent retro commissioning projects to tell us about. At this point in New York City, we started doing retro commissioning or the local R87 retro commissioning back in 2013. So we've got a good eight years behind us, and we're already getting to start the first buildings all over again. Most of our buildings, we've done the local R87 energy audit and retro commissioning. A lot of the retro commissioning was making sure that valves are working correctly, steam traps are working, control set points are at the right points. And with all of those, we've also come up with a bunch of capital ECM, capital energy conservation measures, running the gambit of demand ventilation control, uh, VFDs on pumps and fans that didn't have them beforehand, chilled water demand flow or chiller optimization, if you depending on whose trademark you're using at the moment. We've done ventilation control on our exhaust fans and our lab exhausts, putting VFDs on them, and also making sure that we're measuring the weather, the wind direction and speeds so that we can either increase or decrease our exhaust fans to make sure that we have the right dispersion from the labs. That's pretty good. That's a lot. Now you have a new cogeneration project in the works. It's looking ahead a little bit. Tell us about that. So on the main campus in our Zuckerman Research Lab and our Rockefeller Research Center, we are doing a steam to hot water conversion along with cogeneration. For the three buildings, you reuse Coned steam, which is a relatively wasteful system. First of all, the condensate is once through, so whatever condensate steam comes in, it gets condensed, it gets dumped back down the drain. In our new building, we actually collect the condensate for our cooling towers, but most of the other buildings, it gets dumped down the drain. We will be converting 130 air handlers that are using steam preheats to hot water, changing out the coils, or reusing our chilled water coils for heating using low-temperature hot water. We're also installing a total of 3.3 megawatts of cogeneration, 
which are actually matched to our base heating load. So there is no waste of heat and we're going to be using that electricity to offset electricity that we're purchasing. Overall, the project is going to be saving the institution somewhere between eight and a half to $10 million a year in energy costs. Again, impressive. And I have to admit, I wrote this down when we spoke earlier. Also, you've got a staff for how much lower steam usage will be. Steam usage, we're gonna we're going to be reducing our steam usage by 80%. The only steam usage that we will be using on the main campus and in the research centers are for our steam turbine chillers, which we have about 9,000 tons installed, and also our sterilization and cage washers for our laboratories and animal facilities. Phase two of the project and phase three of the project are to go after those steam usages. But at the time, it was not deemed necessary, but that's going to be down the road. Okay. And also down the road, another New York City ordinance coming in, a local law 97. We talked about 87 earlier. What's my city doing to you next with 97? (laughs) So with local law 97, starting in 2024, depending on what classification your building is, you have a carbon footprint that your EUI that you're allowed for the building. If you exceed the carbon footprint of the allowance, then you have to pay a fine between 2024 and 2023 on 30. And in 2030, the numbers get lower. So you're going to have an issue of trying to maintain. The whole premise is, is to electrify New York City and to reduce your carbon footprint by becoming more efficient. So far, we're looking at On a whole, MSK will be doing relatively well. Our laboratory building is looking at approximately a three-quarter million dollar fine a year from 2024 through 2030. And we're looking for ways to reduce our energy usage in that building or to use cleaner energy with the hope that the grid will become greener over the years. Definitely worthwhile. And I think a number you had given me the If you were to have to pay the fines, it would be something like $6 million. That would be starting in 2020 and 2030. So the city is giving people eight years, nine years to try to get down to the least amount of energy usage that they can. All right. So you've got a head start there. That's good. Now, for these projects, you work with a number of different vendors. I just say that for the FDD award-winning project, you work with Edison Energy. And I know you've got other vendors in the mix. So how do you choose them? What's your vetting process like? A lot of times with the vendors, depending on what the project is, as long as they're trying not to defy the laws of physics, we will do a pilot in one of our smaller buildings to see if the project or product will work for us. In the case of demand ventilation control using a company called AirQuity, we actually did it in a small 50,000 square foot building to show proof of concept. From there, we've expanded it out to our vivarium, our ORs, and actually it is now a standard to bring it, to have it installed in our new buildings from day one. Altogether with AirQuity and in our laboratories, we were able to reduce our air changes from 15 air changes in our vivarium area, animal area, to about eight air changes. And in our lab spaces, we were usually around 12 air changes, and we were able to get down to about three and four air changes for the laboratories. And we can't go down any lower because of thermal loads. But in doing that, overall, 
for one building where, where we install that along with demand flow control and VFDs on our strobic fans or lab exhaust fans, we were able to reduce the building by $2.5 million a year in energy costs. Wow, that's great. And I think the phrase you had used at one point, you like playing with the smaller buildings where the exposure isn't as great if, it does, if the pilot doesn't work out. But this is a great example of a pilot that is now being rolled out to everything, to Correct. more of your building. So that's terrific. And for the energy managers and facility managers listening in, what, what bit of advice would you give them in working with different vendors? Give them a chance, but as long as they're trying not to defy the laws of physics, I like to make the vendors put their money where their mouth is. If you're willing to say this works, is, is this the best thing since sliced bread? Come in, do a pilot, show it to me. If it works out, great, we'll pay or do the project. If it works out, then pay them afterwards and just keep trying. These buildings are playgrounds to me. And we try to figure out how to how to play the best that we can in them. That is a great spot to end on. Bob Berninger, thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and all the great projects that are going on at Memorial Sloan Kettering. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob and Deborah, for this great conversation. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Bob in this podcast on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.